1: So the L.A. Rams will be the number two seed. They finished 13-3, and a 13-win season for the third time
2: in franchise history.
3: I've been dreaming this my whole life. They still have you, yeah. it's time to put in the work. Yeah. Every man gonna dominate, right,
0: offense, defense, special team,
3: let's go. What are we talking about? Greg Zerline yeah.
0: sends the Rams to the Super Bowl.
1: Welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is Derek Siapali here all by myself for the Midweek Podcast. Hey, it's, it's vacation time. we got folks off going all across the country, visiting different places, doing some different work. So I'm by myself. And hey, I'm gone this weekend as well. I'll be back with a Monday night show so instead of a Sunday night show because guess what? I'm out of town. So all that in mind, we do have a lot to actually get to for a dead time of the year. Tori Holt was just on the Good Morning Football show talking about his Hall of Fame candidacy. We want to talk about that. Also, word is getting out there about Marcus Peters and that the team is actually wanting to resign to a contract. They're going to weigh on that a little bit. And then finally, the team has been selling Gerald Everett as well as somebody they're looking forward to contributing more this season. So we want to get into those three things. And finally, Tori in the league missed with Jet Nations Glenn Naughton, who gets the update in the Jet season from last year and their offseason, and also some insight on how former Ram Johnson did in his first year as a Jet. Okay, folks, this episode is sponsored by Jim Hawk and his book Hall Team. We want to remind you that we're also available. Our podcast can be found on Spotify, SoundCloud, and Spreaker. You can find our podcasts with Clutch Points as well. They feature an awesome app that so puts. An awesome app, sorry. That puts loads of NBA and NFL information at your fingertips. Check them out at clutchpoints.com or download the app. Also, don't forget to subscribe. We have a contest going on right now. It's a very slow-moving contest, as usual. It's kind of our mantra, and you're slow-moving. We will get your feedback on our on our podcast for Apple. So once we get two star reviews on Apple Music, which was now because they're getting rid of the iTunes logo name or whatever, one lucky winner will get $75 gift ticket to NFLshop.com, the side or over iTunes, leave a five star review, and send us an email at rams nineteen forty five at gmail.com with the entry with a copy of your entry so we know who to reward. And we'll also read your feedback on the air. Alright. So the first thing I want to get to today is Tory Holt. He was on the Good Morning Football Show earlier this week talking about his candidacy for the Hall of Fame. He's understandably frustrated. He's wondering why. This is why he's not been a finalist yet and why he's not, mean, why he's not inducted yet. I get that. We wonder that. And the reason why are his numbers are still... Now, just so you know, we have tried to get Tory on this show. He's busy. He's a tough guy to get a hold of. He's, he's constantly working in the field of football. He's got organizations out there uh, he works with as well, the Holt brothers. And so it's... We'll keep trying to get him on the show. Hopefully one day he will. He's just a busy guy. But in the meantime, we do want to advocate for him here. Because if you look at his numbers, there's just no real reason why he is not in play right now to be in the Hall of Fame. And I get the idea that putting Isaac Bruce in first matters. He's He played longer. His numbers are more sustained over a longer period of time. But Isaac Bruce and Torrey Holt actually have very different careers. And this is what I mean by that. Isaac Bruce played longer. He was dominant in an era when the Rams were awful offensively. He was their offense. That's the truth. In 95 especially, go back and look. Look at the numbers. Look at who, what he did. And you're going to find out that those couple of years, of 95, 96, those were years that Isaac Bruce dominated without much help at all. So then look at Torrey Hole. And I think this is actually hurting him. In the way people view him. Because the argument ha- to me is, well, look at all the stars that were around him. If, if that's going to be the case, then why are so many members of the 1970s Pittsburgh Steelers in the Hall of Fame? Or the 1980s San Francisco 49ers? Why should all these players then be in the Hall of Fame en mass from these dominant teams? The Lombardi Packers. Do so I need to keep going? But here's the reality of Torrey Holt and his career in the NFL. For the Rams, he never caught less than 50 passes. Matter of fact, he never caught less than 50 passes in his entire career. He never, even in his rookie year, recorded more than seven, sorry, less than 750 yards. Again, he never recorded less than 750 yards as a member of the Rams and never less than 720 yards receiving in his career at all. But this is what he did do. From 2000 to 2007, Torrey Holt never Never caught, Tory Holt never recorded less than 1150 yards. Between 2000 and 2007, he never caught less than 80 passes. So, in that stretch in 2000 and 2007, there are very few receivers who were as dominant as he was. In the year 2000, he caught 82 passes for a league leading 1,635 yards and 19.9 yards per catch. A long of 85 yards. In 2003, 117 catches for 1696 and 106 yards per game. That that was what he did. 2004, um, the team's heading downhill here. He still catches 94 passes for 1372. In 2005, it's still heading downhill. 102 passes for 1331. 2006, yeah, it's getting ugly now. Still catches 93 93- Passes for 1,188 for 1, yards. In 2007, this team is horrible. Horrible. 93 catches for 1,189 yards. So count it up. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. 8 straight years of 1,000 yards or more. 8 straight years of 80 receptions or more. In that time frame. One all pro. In a different time frame. It's gonna be more because this was an era where receivers some of the best were going on. We're out there. Randy Moss, he's out there. Marvin Harrison. So you have competition for some of the best. But still, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven, make sure I'm looking at this right, seven Pro Bowl bursts during this time frame. So tell me again why Tory Holt should not be in the Hall of Fame. Tell me why he doesn't deserve to be there. I can go back and look at the numbers from Jerry Rice. The great wide receiver. Okay, So So very few receivers have ever done what he did. The closest, in my view, Jerry Rice. And we all know what Jerry Rice was. Jerry Rice's numbers from 1986 to 1996 are the best you're going to find in history. And he kept piling on Warren's career. He was dominant. Absolutely dominant. Randy Moss, during his time frame, during his career, Randy Moss... Dominant when he was in the right situation. But he even didn't string together years in a row like Tory Holt did. He had a nice run from 1998 to 2003, then had an off year, had another off year, had another off year, goes to the Patriots and revitalizes his career. Another person I can look at, Terrell Owens. His career, one, two, three, for five straight years at one point of 1,100 yards or more, not even Terrell Owens was as dominant during a seven-year stretch, eight-year stretch, like Torrey Holt was. So why isn't Torrey Holt in the Hall of Fame? Well, he, a lot of events around him. Well, he wasn't as loud. I'll, I'll go out there and say he wasn't as loud. He was not this big rah-rah guy. He was a team player. He played the team game. Some folks might argue that he was a benef- the beneficiary of his system of the Rams system. I would argue, well, if that's the case, then why weren't the Rams able to to sustain it? Tory Holt's getting ripped off here. And by the way, Isaac Bruce is getting ripped off too. For Isaac Bruce to go to the Hall of Fame committee last year, for his candidacy to be up there for the vote, and they don't even debate his presentation at all. They don't even talk about it. All they have is, is the initial Howard Balzer presentation, that's it. By the way, Howard Balzer did a horrible job. If that's the case where there's no debate, none whatsoever, then Howard Balzer did a horrible job in presenting that to the committee. But shame on the committee for overlooking Isaac Bruce here. At some point, these guys need to be in. And Tory Hall has a valid point. He deserves to be in there. His numbers show it. He compares well with other Hall of Famers. Yes, he was not the big, tall guy who could do miracle things. What he did do was consistently be excellent, consistently run his routes well, consistently be one of the best players on the field, day in and day out. You could always count on Torrey Holt. He was consistently great, and his numbers show it. And the only reason we're probably even having this conversation right now is because Torrey Holt got hurt. He probably, if he doesn't get hurt, plays for a couple more years, and his numbers are even more solidified. But if that's the case, then explain to Terrell Davis who was dominant in his short prime career. Terrell Davis deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. He does. And his career, though, was a bit short, right? So then tell me why Torrey Holt isn't even a finalist at this point. That needs to change. Absolutely needs to change. Okay, moving on. Yeah, I'm a little fired up about that. Honestly, I'm really fired up about that. But we do want to thank our sponsor, Jim Hawk. Most of us are didn't did anything in Los Angeles Rams. Well, if you want to learn more about the Rams history, the personal touch Check out Jim Hawks' Hollywood team, Grit, Glamour, in the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. The book tells the story of the 1950s Rams and of Jim's dad, John, who was an offensive lineman for the team from 1983 to 1957. Check out some story of his father and team he played for in an era of glitz, glamour, and future Hall of Famers. Rebound plays at like Norman Van Brocklin, Elway Crazy Sears, Tom Fears, and Les Richter in this story span the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. You can find Hawks' book online at Hollywoodsteam.com. And also on Twitter, Hall was team. It's filled both in hardback and electronic format on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. You can also find the book out on paperback September sixth, folks. This is for a great cause. I know you've probably heard me say it a thousand times. Well, not a thousand. I mean, eh, a lot. I'm um, lots of exaggeration there, but. Homeboy Industries gets the proceeds from this. They are an, orza- an organization that focuses in on helping people get out of the gang life and, and return them to normal society and make them productive members of society. So it's worth it. It's a great book, great story. Check it out. Hall was seen Great Glamour, and the 19th these Los Angeles Rands by Jim Hawk. It's well worth your time. Now, quickly here before we get to Glenn Naughton over there with the Jets, Marcus Peters, Struggle, for the first chunk of last season, especially when Aqib Talib went down, they tried to put him in man-to-man situations. So he's much better in zone, struggled, got exposed badly in the Saints game, and then after that, c- turns around the rest of his season. All right, great. Now the question is, does he deserve an extension? I thought he took the right attitude. Lindsay over Theory over there at ESPN did a profile on him, and what he's talking about is, I want the Super Bowl right now. I'll let everything else play by itself. That's great, Marcus great attitude and the reason why is because that has to be what it is if he goes against the super bowl and they raise a the profile of the team the league and so on and so forth and you play your best you're going to get your money somewhere i'm not sure though it's going to be with the rams and the reason why is this if he is as dominant as he can be the rams i'm not sure they can afford him somebody will pay him big money but i'm not sure the rams can that salary cap is looking pretty, pretty iffy, and they're paying a lot of money out to people like Aaron Donald, they're going to be paying to, to Jared Goff, and Todd Groves is to a lot of money as well. It, that's a concern from the Rams in terms of, if I, I'm going to pay somebody, Marcus Peters. However, behind Marcus Peters, let's just say Keith Talib has done after this year. What else do you have? Troy Hill, Nikhil Roby Coleman. So unless the Rams focus on quarterback next draft, I don't know what the Rams are going to do. They can re-sign Peters, and he really needs a a standout corner, a press corner, opposite him, in order to not be the focus guy. That's how he, he can he can play more zone on the opposite side that way. So we'll see. I have a hard time believing the Rams can pay him, but the Rams never cease to surprise me. Let's see what happens. Finally, Gerald Everett getting some playtime on Rams social media They're really focusing on Gerald Everett and his development This the last couple weeks we've seen a lot about him and I wanted to just go ahead and say I hope this happens, I hope that Gerald Everett becomes the guy that everybody has been believing he could be I am a big believer in Gerald Everett I love his tape from college I'm a big believer in his potential I just don't know if the Rams can make magic happen with him considering his performance in the first two years but if anybody can, Sean McVay, right? Because Sean McVay was a tight ends guy until he got here. And that's what's blown me away. The Rams have failed to develop a tight end under Sean McVay. How? How can that be? I don't understand that at all. And the reason I don't understand it is because look at what, the, what he did with the Redskins. That was his reputation. That said, Joe Everett can make magic happen. We've seen it here and there. I'd like to see him become a focal point of the offense and be able to provide another weapon for Jared Goff. All right, so, hey, we're looking for sponsors. Reach out to us at GM O'Connell or leave us a voicemail at 657-666-5453. We have a meeting to get ready to get out to you. And, oh, by the way, we also have a podcast of the Angels now, Talking Halos. Check it out. It's on Twitter. We're all on Facebook, so on and so forth. We're still working on the Dodger podcast. I keep saying that, hoping that we can get that sorted out soon. All right, now, here's a treat for you. A sweet conversation with Glenn Naughton from Jet Nation for our Tour on the League. Check it out. Alright folks, I'm here with Glenn Naughton from Jets Nation and it's a little bit across the pond talking this morning of all times. I I rarely if ever talk to you in the morning. You might be able to hear it. I have the coffee going in the background. You can hear a drip drip drip. I know I could it I was doing testing earlier. It is a Sunday morning for me interview, but it is a Sunday afternoon interview with Glenn. Glenn, welcome to the show, and thanks for coming on and talking with us about the
3: Jets today. Hey, no problem, man. Thanks for having me on. Always happy to uh, sit down and talk with uh, Jets fans or just, you know, fans around the league who want to just talk a little bit of shop. Now, I'm guessing you retired over there, right? Is that what happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did my service with, uh, with the Air Force, finished up a couple years ago. Uh, I'd lived out here for six or seven years at different bases while I was stationed here, got married out here, had kids out here, so... Finished up my career in Jersey, and then when wrapped things up, we said let's go back to England. Wow! So you are
1: an across upon Jets Jets guy. I'm guessing one day when they eventually play in London,
3: you're you're there. Well, they they played here a few years ago, and I flew out because I was actually as, as luck would have it, while they were in London, that's when I was living in Jersey. But uh, you know, <laughs> my my Lord. wife still my wife's parents are out here, and you know she has family, so. We were coming out once a year anyway, so I said, hey, the Jets are scheduled to play the Dolphins. Why don't we make that you know, the time we take our trip out? So yeah, that worked out well, especially the fact that it was a road game. You, you hate to lose a home game, but uh, a road game in London's a good time. I have to ask you this
1: because my wife's a little weird. Like, I, I, you know, Men tend to do this, general, I'm generalizing here, but... If we tend, like you just said, to plan our trips around sporting events. Like, are the Angels playing at that time? Are the Rams playing at that time? Are the, are the Jets playing at that time? That's
3: what you do, right? Uh, there are times, yeah. I try to keep my schedule clear. Um, I actually almost had a, a, a bit of a, a screw-up a couple of weeks ago. I thought I'd surprise my wife with, a, with a, a night out in London, no notice. Let's just go out, see a show or whatever. I went online, bought the tickets, surprised her with them, and then it dawned on me. I thought, did I just buy tickets for the night of the first round of the draft? Oh and uh, no. I, I doubled back and looked, and look, it was the night before, and I thought I could have easily bought the Thursday night tickets just absentmindedly. So luckily, yeah, I, I did not make that mistake. I'm, I'm fortunate in that uh, over the years, having been someone who grew up watching baseball, football, basketball, hockey, uh, my interest in the other sports has waned over the years, um, and it's all just NFL for me now. So that makes it a little easier.
1: It's a little bit different on my end here. It's, it's mostly uh, mostly Rams, and I see a little bit of baseball back in just because I'm bored. I can get used to podcasting so much over the course of the year. You start getting a little mm-hmm. more when things slow down that dead mm-hmm. time between May and July. It's brutal. Oh, my gosh. You're sitting there like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> football? There's no football. And the AAF cancels, so there's no football to watch over here. I know. <laughs> what do you do? Okay, so I got... A few questions for you about the Jets. And really, just starting simply here, reevaluate the 2018 Jets for us. What went wrong and what
3: went right for that team? Well, I think uh, a lot of it had to do with the fact that, for whatever reason, Todd Bowles, you know, if you look at the previous season, when they all, you know, they weren't very good that year either. Uh, under Todd Bowles, but they did surprise a lot of people by having a sort of middle of the road offense with with Josh McCown. He was able to do some good things with Robbie Anderson, um, and and they really they they put up a lot more points than people expected. So when you went into last year and you had Sam Darnold, you expected some struggles as you would with any rookie, but uh, you didn't expect the offense to take this huge step backward that it did. And a lot of that can be attributed to the fact that Todd Bowles fired John Morton, his offensive coordinator. And uh, and he brought in Jeremy Bates, who had basically been searching his soul for the past few years, living in the mountains somewhere. And Todd Bowles thought it'd be a great job to bring him in and let him develop a a quarterback. And it was uh, the results were not good. And Todd Bowles, you know, something Jets fans got used to with him was his teams not being able to hold leads. I mean, as bad as the Jets were last year, they had some fairly good, some fairly good sized leads against teams in winnable games. You know they led Marcus Mariota and the Titans. You know they had a sixteen nothing lead that they let slip away, um, and, and that was kind of the kind of an earmark of uh, or the hallmark of Todd Bowles' time with the Jets was not being able to hold leads. And I get that the talent wasn't you know wasn't as good as you'd like it to be, but for a guy with his reputation as you know as a defensive genius, you'd expect him to be able to hold a lead from time to time. And sometimes he you know he, he will. He's one of those old school guys who will stick with his veterans to a fault where if he has a guy who's struggling, he doesn't care. He's like, that's my starter. He's staying in there. Um, You know, last year, the last two years have been a complete disaster for the Jets at the center position. And last year, Spencer Long, who they signed in free agency, was literally snapping balls over Sam Donald's head consistently, forcing Donald to chase down Aaron snaps. And that's the, the one injury Donald did suffer was on a play like that. And they actually, you know, cut to some Jets players on the sidelines at one point, And they were almost laughing and shaking their head like they couldn't believe that this head coach was leaving a center in who, due to a dislocated finger, could not sh- snap the ball out of the shotgun. And he was putting his quarterback's health at risk. So just a lot of, you know, not enough talent, clearly, uh, but enough talent to be better than what they were had the coaching been better. Is Sam Darrell the guy for the Jets? To, and how does he fit in New York? Well, I think, you know, you have to, you know, other than the obvious, just hoping like hell that he is because it's been so long since we've had a quarterback. I think that watching him watching the things he's able to do at his age you know, he turned 21 during training camp last year. You know, Baker Mayfield, those comparisons get made, and rightfully so, as two guys are taken in the top three. But uh, Baker Mayfield, three years older than Sam Darnold. And th- to see the way Sam Darnold progressed throughout the season, you know, the the last five, six games, he was a completely different guy than he was in the first six games. Um, he had the few games, of course, in between where he was injured because of the the errant snaps. Mm-hmm. But I, I absolutely think he is. You know, I had a chance. I was lucky enough to get out to the camp last year. Saw just about every practice. And you would see him do things that the Jets just haven't, you know, we, we've had guys that you kind of, you, you, you tie your hopes to because you just need a quarterback and you don't want to believe you still don't have one. But I've seen Jets fans, myself included, kind of rationalize like, okay, maybe maybe Geno Smith's the guy, maybe Mark Sanchez is the guy, but you're just kind of hyping up when they do stuff that any quarterback should be able to do at this level. But the way Sam Donald was able to make throws on the run, evade pressure, get away from you know the rush, whether it was up the middle, off the edge. Um, and it, the the way he was able to process what he was seeing and make throw make quick decisions and throws on the run, especially late in the year, you kind of look at him and go, this kid's 21. It, you know, everything at that at this level for guys this early in their career is a projection. So you're just saying if he continues to go in the direction he's going, he's absolutely the guy. Well, New York's a tough place to play, though. How is he in the New York pressure? Well, that's the thing that w- I think was most surprising about Darnold is that he's uh, again because of his age, he's such a laid-back guy that he doesn't. It, it, nothing seems to get to him. It, you know, he almost he, he's almost. Um, I, I I don't even know how to describe it because we've not had a guy who's who's looked this good this early. And, you know, despite, you know, the, the it was they had a poor season, of course, but his demeanor is so professional and so, you know, restrained, you know, that was one for me personally. I looked at the draft last year. I was convinced Donald was going number one. Um, I knew the Browns had some interest in Mayfield, but I real just because of all you heard is it's Donald, it's Donald, it's Donald. So in my mind, the Jets traded up and it was going to be Mayfield. And that worried me. I'm like, do you want to turn this guy loose in New York City? I don't know if that's the best idea in the world. So then, when you land Donald instead, it was kind of like just a blessing. And that his, you know, he's probably going to be back in California during the offseason doing his workouts. But there's no questions about his, his, what he's doing off the field. There's no concerns about work ethic. There's no concern about focus. So so far, he's been great. You know, the media loves him. Of course, the fans love him. Um, But of course, it's early on. You know, they love Mark Sanchez early. Let you know. Let you know. Let's see where his career goes. But at this point, there's really no there's been there've been no cracks there've been no reason to wonder if he's a good fit for new york now, speaking of fits for new york why hire adam
1: gaze especially with the issues he had in miami and
3: he had a lot of them he did and that and that was a hire that jets fans it was probably during the searching the 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 coaching search it was probably the least popular option a lot of folks were dead were dead set against it i wasn't in favor of it and i think a lot of it is the fact that they wanted a guy who has shown he can do good work with young quarterbacks. You know, all this revolves, revolves around Darnold at this point. And Gase definitely has a personality or appears to have a personality that's tough to deal with. But I think they looked at the list of who was out there and they thought, we want a guy who has shown he can, he can mold a young quarterback. And Gase isn't a guy who's won a whole lot, but it, he falls into that category of sort of let's see what he's done with what he's had to work with. And you're talking about a guy who's found a way to win football games with Tim Tebow and Brock Osweiler, a quarterback, and actually had a winning record with the Dolphins when, uh, when Ryan Tannehill was healthy. I think it was that. And I think he was kind of working his way toward the top of the list because of that background. And a lot of the talk in New York was that what's, what sealed the deal was, that, you know, was Peyton Manning calling ownership and talking to the Jets owners and saying, listen, this is the only guy I've ever worked with who, who challenged me. You know, who made me question what I was doing or, you know, he kind of an endorsement that strong from a guy like Peyton Manning when your chief concern is developing your young quarterback. I think that's what gave him the edge. Will it be the right call? Who knows? You know, there's already rumblings that Gase is unhappy in the building. Um, whether or not that's true or not remains to be seen. But he definitely does have a personality. They, they, it, it, when they hired him, I, again, I'm not, I wasn't doing backflips. I looked at some of his interactions with the media and he seemed like maybe a little bit of a hothead, maybe a guy who doesn't deal with criticism very well. And he's going to get that in New York. So you hope that doesn't become an issue. Well, that's
1: what he was hammered for. In Miami was, you know, criticism. How's he yeah. handle? How's he handle people? And mm-hmm. I guess off the top of my head, just kind of going off the cuff here, what the heck would he have a reason to be upset with now? It's just, you just got through the draft. Was he? Why be upset with anything right now?
3: Well, again, that's the, it's all rumors at this point, but there there was some speculation. I spoke with Manish Mehta from the New York Daily News the other day. He said it's nothing more than sort of the normal stuff you get with a GM and a head coach. But um, there were some rumblings that he, he wasn't in favor of bringing in Le'Veon Bell because he wanted uh, – I guess he didn't want to invest that type of money in a running back. I don't know if it had to do with Le'Veon Bell sitting out, but Mike McCagnon basically overruled him and said, you know, this is arguably the best running back in the NFL. We're bringing him in. Um, so just a couple of personnel decisions that have reportedly um, rubbed them the wrong way. That, And uh, this is according to Rich Simini of ESPN New York, said that uh, Adam Gase kind of had a bit of a, and I told you so, when Le'Veon Bell chose not to show up for some voluntary workouts. So speaking of Le'Veon Bell,
1: he <laughs> didn't show up for voluntary workouts. They are voluntary. But you would think you'd want to make a good impression on your team. Obviously, that doesn't. The money involved is huge. It's massive. We, we see what's going on with Tiger Gurley out in L.A. And the uh, questions about his knee. And they just signed this massive extension for him. Mm-hmm. What is the feeling around Le'Veon Bell right now concerning this big money deal? He's a running back. Running backs are believed to be, well, expendable to a degree when it comes to big money. Where the, Why, I guess, would be the big question for you.
3: I think the big. I think the thing with Le'Veon Bell is that, generally speaking, fan I think most fans are united in that you don't spend that kind of money on running backs. I think what made this a little bit di- and I, and I'm I'm in that camp. I'm general. I generally feel like if you can get a an above average guy for half the price or less, then you do it. Uh, but I think what made this a little bit different is that Le'Veon Bell, especially as a receiver. Is so much better than than the majority of backs out there. You know, he's a guy who's put up 1,800 plus uh, total yards a couple times now. Something the Jets have only ever had one time in their history. But I think the the combination of the cap space where they had over 100 million. And again, the importance of getting Darnold, surrounding Sam Darnold with quality weapons. I think fans were willing to say, if you're ever going to spend this kind of money on a running back, now is the time to do it because we have a couple of years, you know, to to have Le'Veon Bell as an outlet for Sam Darnold, if the, you know, if he's under pressure or, you know, even design plays, whatever it may be. I think Le'Veon Bell's skill set, and, you know, everyone talks about the touches, which is a valid thing. He's had a lot of touches, but I, you know, the thing I've pointed to is I remember many, many years ago, hearing Marcus Allen in an interview because he was kind of the first running back that I ever saw who played well into his late 20s and early 30s. And he said that he thinks the thing that helped him most was a falling out he had with Al Davis, which led him to being essentially benched for a full season. And he thought, you know, at no other point in my career did I have a full year to let my body recover. And I think that added years to my career. So Le'Veon Bell's a guy who's 27. He's on a three-year deal after having taken a year off. So I think when you look at the fact he's got a year of rest, He's the best option out there for your young quarterback, and you had a hundred million in cap space. there was no you know if you're going to if you're going into the off season and you're playing with thirty five forty million and you have a bunch of holes to fill and you spell, you spend fifteen on a running back, I would have had a problem with that. But when you have a mil, i mean they still even with all the moves they've made this off season, I think they're sitting at around twenty million in cap space. so the money was there, and it made sense from a schematic standpoint and in bringing Darnold along
1: now speaking of moves, what were the best and possibly worst
3: moves the free agents appeared for the Jets? Well, you know the the not a, not a they had enough holes and they had enough money to fill them that I, I would say I don't know that, that there are any moves I didn't like. You know, I think that bringing in i mean one one move through trade, Colegio O'sMley, the all pro left guard who they brought in from Oakland, is a huge upgrade because you know the biggest issue for the Jets on the offensive line for the last two years has been at center and left guard. Um, Brian Winters at right guard hasn't been fantastic e- either. But the bigger problems were James Carpenter and, and Spencer Long at center. So by bringing in an all-pro left guard, who is coming off an injury, by the way, um, but even if he regains, you know, if he's half of what he was, he's a tremendous upgrade over over uh, James Carpenter. Uh, you have to love that. C.J. Mosley in the middle, that one really surprised me. Only because you spent a bunch of money on Avery Williamson last season, and Avery Williamson had a really good year. He's a good player. But I didn't think inside line- Linebacker would be a spot where they pay a guy basically franchise quarterback money. Um, so a lot of fans were uncomfortable with that because that much money for an inside linebacker. When you took Darren Lee in the first round a couple of years ago, uh, that that's something some fans are still complaining about. You know, in, in terms of resource allocation. But I think that when you can get a four time Pro Bowler uh, in the middle of your defense. That, that could end up paying, you know, big time dividends and Jameson Crowder, the slot receiver they brought in again, um, fans, Jets fans and rightfully so. If, if you look at our history, the past 10, 15 years, so many of so much of our draft capital, especially the premium picks, the first rounders so much uh, so often it's dedicated to defense. So fans, because they went Quinn and Williams, Sha'Kai Polite again at the top of this draft, people are complaining that you know they're only focusing on defense, but they're kind of forgetting free agency where they added the all-pro left guard. They add Crowder, who some people called the best slot guy in this free agent class. Um, and you know you retain Quincy Nunwa. So th- there are definitely some acquisitions that should go a long way to, to helping this team in the short and long term. Um, in terms of free agent additions that people didn't like, I don't know there were any that were all that unpopular but the 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 move I saw get the most criticism was the the money that they gave to Mosley to play inside linebacker Mosley gave the money kind of he got at this point
1: though when your team has been as bad as it wasn't as a Rams guy we went through a lot of those years Mm -hmm. sometimes you got to pay people a little more than you necessarily would want to pay them just to get them to come but looking at that defense overall it looks better it looks a lot better how did the draft pan out to help supplement the
3: moves they made in free agency? Well, that's the thing is that, you know, I actually said several weeks before the draft, and actually, you know, I don't, I'm don't. i one of these guys I you know, you do mock drafts for fun, but I try not to go overboard and do 15 of them because at that point you've mocked every single guy in the first round to your team. Um, so I only did two mocks, and the last one I did, I had the, the first three picks right, and um, because I felt like that was something the Jets would target and what it would do for that front seven. Uh, You know, we we talk about Leonard Williams a lot. He gets a lot of heat in New York because, uh, you know, first of all, being picked sixth overall and all the talk about him being the best player in that first round class. uh, But as I've said to people, of course, you guys got Gurley that year. But outside of outside of Brandon Scherf, Leonard Williams and Todd Gurley, there wasn't a lot in that first round that that first round ended up being a whole lot of busts. So if you were to say Leonard Williams would be the best player in that first round, you wouldn't be that far off. I mean, at the same time it wouldn't be saying much, but it kind of it goes to show that it wasn't necessarily a bad pick. But Leo on that front 7, he's a guy who, you know, he gets he gets a ton We see him get a ton of pressures. You know, he's sort of top 5 I think in pressures since entering the league uh from the interior defensive line, but he he doesn't get home a lot. So that gets that makes a lot of fans, you know, more critical of him I think than they should be. There's, there's also a lot of talk about how frequently he gets double teamed, which is overblown. Um, when, you, when you go when you watch he, the, if to hear people talk about him, you would think he's getting double teamed 30, 40 percent of the time, it's probably 20% or less. But by, ba- by bringing in Quinn and Williams, and I've, I've heard quite a few people say this about him, just because he doesn't play off the edge doesn't mean he's not a pass rusher. And the way he's able to split double teams and beat guys and get pressure up the middle, he is essentially an interior pass rusher. Um, you know people I actually watched uh, Brett Coleman do a breakdown of him earlier, and he and he, and this was you know this is his opinion. He said we every year we hear a defensive tackle get compared to Aaron Donald. He said, but for my money, this is the first guy who you can legitimately compare to Aaron Donald, and he showed some of their similar moves in beating double teams getting up the middle, but by bringing him in even if he's you know even if he 's a guy who can get you ten sacks, and then you bring in Ja'Kai polite off the edge, which has been a need for the jets since they traded John Abraham ten years ago. I think Polite is a guy, you know. Despite the terrible pre-draft process, his film just jumps out, and uh, you know the guy. His motor is relentless. You see him making tackles, fifteen, twenty yards downfield. You don't get that from a guy who lacks effort. When, when you have a D lineman, outside linebacker chasing guys down twenty yards downfield, that that's not a guy who lacks effort. So if he's the same guy he was in college, from that standpoint, the way he can bend and get around the edge, it it makes you know the biggest questions for the Jets defense right now is at corner. They're set at safety. They're set at inside linebacker. Jordan Jenkins is a good player, not great player, but he had seven sacks last year. But, you know, the overall impact of drafting these two guys should make life a lot easier on guys like Jordan Jenkins and Leonard Williams to get to the quarterback. And then, of course, Henry Anderson, who they got for a seventh round pick last year, and he had seven sacks as an interior lineman. So there are some guys who produced with, without an edge rusher, and now you've added an edge rusher and upgraded your defensive interior. Where does Tremaine Johnson fit in on this defense right now? Well, I mean, he's he's going to be given that number 1 job again b- based solely on his salary. I mean, even even though his play didn't justify it last year, um he's still making a ton of money, way too much money to cut. He's he's here for at least two more years. I think the hope, I mean, obviously the hope is that they can get him somewhere near the level he was playing with the Rams when he had Greg Williams as his coordinator there. So you reunite those two and he's really the only proven guy on the on the cornerback depth chart. So Tremaine Johnson is the de facto number one, but if he doesn't improve the way he played last year, th- th- there were rumors after this season that the Jets were already having buyer's remorse because he was getting beaten too consistently. Um, he did have some issues. I think he had a concussion. He had a couple of nagging injuries where you kind of, I think it's it's more wishful thinking than anything where you say, okay, well, it, it was the injuries. It was the injuries. But he's not a young guy. But, again, I, the the he, he kind of becomes the, the most important guy on this defense in terms of if he can – play at you know an above-average level, that secondary with, with uh, Jamal Adams and you know Marcus May, if he can stay healthy, that secondary becomes pretty damn good.
1: I think with Tremaine, you're, you're seeing stuff we already knew. Mm-hmm. And if we already knew that, why in the world did the Jets not know that? <laughs> Tremaine's a number two. Mm-hmm. He's a number two corner. He's never going to be a full... He had one great season as a number one, but that number one was based off of, of very little in terms of him actually being, the, he just played above his head for one year. Is what he did. Right. He's always been solid. Never been great. Always struggled with injuries. I mean, you're 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 preaching the, you're you're preaching something I've heard, well I've seen for six right. years now. So I'm just wondering what the Jets were thinking with
3: that that signing. But that's
1: why the Rams let him go.
3: And I, well, I think I think I mean what they were thinking there again. Sort of Tremaine Johnson benefits from the the Jets had a, a desperate need there. Darrell Reeves went downhill on a hurry. Uh, they didn't really have an answer at corner. And, and this is the the, the the part that was frustrating for Jets fans um, and kind of, again, happened consistently with Todd Bowles. Jermaine Johnson is, uh, you know, a lot of what you read, whether it was the scouting reports, whether it was, uh, you know, analysts, whether it was pro football focus. Everyone talked about how probably, you know, he, he wasn't a perfect corner, but the strongest part of his game was in press coverage, you know, for press man. And Todd Bowles always had him backed off. And you saw him giving these 10, 15-yard cushions, but... That's what Todd Bowles did with all of his corners. Even Darrell Reeves when they brought him back year one, we consistently seeing him 10, 15 yards off the receiver and getting beat on these quick hitters underneath. And you're just saying, you know, we keep hearing this guy's a defensive genius and he's, he's, he's giving huge cushions. And at the same time, he's, oh, he's not bringing any pressure up front. So these court, and, if, and even if you do bring pressure, there's enough cushion for the quarterback to make a quick read and a hit underneath. And that's what we saw last year with Tremaine Johnson, an awful lot. He played a little better late in the year. But again, you know, folks are skeptical.
1: Well, you got to play guy, right? Yeah, so it yeah. sounds like there's some problems with coaching too there as well. But uh, looking at the AFC East, where do the Jets stand right now and how many wins do you see in their schedule?
3: Well, I've, again, a lot of it comes down to, you know, if we, if we say Sam Darnold continues to play the way he has or continues to develop the way he has, and if Quinn and Williams has, you know, uh, I don't expect him to come in and, and light the league on fire year one. But if if him and Ja'Kai Polite contribute to this defense improving, uh, I could see this being a nine win team. I mean, just as I said last year, they had they had two or three games that they blew in the final five minutes. I mean, this is a team that was getting leads and 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 getting out in front of people and they just weren't able to hold a lead. So to go from the the way they've played the last couple years to a guy like Greg Williams, who I think I think fans are a little too high on. Um, I think he's probably a good defensive coordinator. But Jets fans, we've spent the last four or five years watching our defensive coordinator and and head coach um, just so almost sleepwalking through the process. And, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not someone who believes that a coach has to yell and scream to be successful because that doesn't equal success. But it's just it's that much more frustrating when you're getting your when you're getting your teeth kicked in every Sunday and all you see is guys standing around with their arms folded. And I think fans are desperate for someone to come in here and light a fire under these guys, and Greg Williams is someone who would definitely do that. So if, if Greg Williams, if he gets this defense playing at at their full potential, again with this Jamal Adams, I mean what Jamal Adams brings is the safety position. Um, you know, he, he gets used off the edge as a rusher. He gets used in the slot, he gets used deep. He's in the box. Every now and then, you see him in the boundary. You, you can put him at, there's not anything he can't do on defense, and that's why he, you know, uh, uh, an alternate to the pro to alternate, all pro second team uh, this year. And I would expect more of that type of stuff in the future. So if Greg Williams moves his pieces around and and uses these guys to their full potential, and Sam Darnold continues to to develop, um, I see this team being because the schedule isn't brutal. It's actually got the the fewest miles in I think in team history. The, far th- the farthest they go from home is, I believe, Cincinnati. Other than that, everything is on the oh, East Coast. They've, they've, this, this schedule this year, they have never traveled fewer miles in a season because, of course, they, they have the Giants. They have Miami, East Coast. They have Jacksonville, East Coast. They have New England and Buffalo a couple hours away. Uh, they have the Redskins a couple hours away. So their longest road trip this year is Cincinnati, and um, they face a lot of rookie head coaches. They face some rookie quarterbacks. So I think that, I think that they can surprise some people, and I'm, you know, I, I said last year they would win four or five games. Um, I'm not one of these guys who, who thinks best-case scenario every year, but I think this year this team could surprise some people and, and at least be in the playoff picture late in the season, which, would be, which is probably where they're hoping to be at the very least. That you know, I had a, that was my last question, but now hearing you say that, I wanted to ask one more. If that's
1: okay, absolutely. Uh, I think one thing that would that on the outside looking in, being a football fan from across the country, is wondering how in the world over the course of years now, where the Giants have basically falling on you know on really hard times, how the Jets have failed to capitalize on this. You know, the, the Giants have always been a big team in town. The Jets are always trying to catch up. Now, the Jets have a, have had a young core for a while now. Why have the Jets failed to capitalize on the opportunity to, to become that team in New York?
3: Well, I mean, the two main factors, the, the one fact, the biggest factor to me being the history. It's it's hard to overcome being the new kid on the block, even even after decades, because the Giants have that sort of, that ingrained, you know, the, a franchise that's been around forever and had a... a, a a ready-built fan base by the time the, the Jets came along and the quarterback position. I mean, the Jets have been so bad at quarterback for so long, you, you just can't compete in the NFL if you don't have one. I mean, Ryan Fitzpatrick holds the Jets' all-time touchdown records in a single season with 31. I mean, that's how bad it's been. I mean, you look back and it's it's Gino Smith. It's Mark Sanchez, you know, guys like like uh, Brooks Bollinger starting football games for you, Jay Fiedler at the end of his career. Um, every time they take one of these guys early, Browning Nagel, these guys they take in the first round, the top 10, they all bust. Kellen Clemens, who Eric Mangini took in the second round, was a bust. They, it just and, you know, of course, and things and I say this all the time. I said this the other day on my show that I think fans, you know, everyone, when bad things happen to your team, it feels like, oh, my God, this only happens to us. But with the Jets, I mean, listen, they had Bill Belichick under contract to be their next head coach, and he quits after one day by writing a note on a napkin and leaving it on his desk and walking out the door. That doesn't happen to other teams, you know what I mean? The, this The Jets, I mentioned this one, too. You talk about heartbreaking. There was a – when they were in the AFC Championship game against the Broncos years ago – they uh they they were in a good position to win that game they come out they kick the ball off and uh or the broncos the broncos kick the ball off and the ball goes up in the wind and blows back to the broncos and they recover it as an onside kick i mean that you can't if you put that in a movie people would say that's too ridiculous we got to rewrite that but these are the things that that have happened and uh you know of course the butt fumble doesn't hurt doesn't help and there's just it, it always seems like there's there's something that happens. You know, you, Geno Smith, like him or not, what other team gets their starting quarterback knocked out in the locker room by a teammate and break his jaw? You know what I mean? You just the things that happen to this team. It's, it's like a never ending thing. And that's why that's why fans freaked out a little bit this week when there was this supposed Gase McCagnin rift. Where Most teams would think, well, that's nothing, but old Jets fans went, oh, Jesus, are are we about to have another sort of unprecedented only the Jets moment and fire a coach or a general manager before a season starts? Um, Looks like those have settled down, but I mean, that would be, I think it's almost like saying how, you know, when the Yankees were bad in the 80s and 90s, you know, the early 90s, how did the Mets not take it? You know, the Mets may have been more popular for a minute. But when, when you're the franchise that's been around for so long, it, it's tough to overcome that team's history and uh, and take a city away. But, you know, the, the Jets do all right. Their attendance is good. Of course, last year it was padded by opposing fans showing up. You know, there, <laughs> yeah. there, there's there's no sugarcoating that the last couple of years. But uh, the Jets, you know, I I, th- I think, and Chris Johnson said it last year when they drafted Sam Darnold, that hopefully this was a turning point for the franchise. And I think that, you know, if, if Darnold turns out to be the guy, it absolutely is. All right, Glenn, can you let people know where they can find you? Uh, yeah, you can check me out on Twitter, at um, AceFan23. That's A-C-E-Fan23. And uh, I'm also on Jet Nation Radio, J-E-T Nation Radio. Uh, check us out on iTunes. We uh, we do Tuesday nights, myself and my co-host, Alex Varallo. Uh, just break down the Jets and, and you know, try to have fun with it. Try not to take ourselves too seriously and, and just have a good time.
1: Glenn, thanks so much for taking the time on a Sunday to join us and, and talk some Jets football and hopefully we're talking again this time next year.
3: Happy to do it, man. Thanks a lot right. for having me. Yeah, take care. Thank you very much.
1: Well, folks, it's nice to see what's going on with Tremaine Johnson. That Jets team, to me, is a bit of a train wreck, but we'll see what goes on there. Good luck to to Glenn and being the persistent fan. All right, time for us to go, though. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, TalkRams, and on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Rams Talk. You can find me, Derek C. Paula, on Twitter at D.C. Paula. Don't forget some on the iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, all those places. And also don't forget that iBeatRadio.com plays our show on Wednesdays and Sundays mornings at 10 a.m. episode time. So for the entire Rams Talk crew, it's Derek C. Paula saying peace out. We will see you on Monday, next Monday night.